Welcome to the Sendcast. My name is Dale Pickles. I'm the host of the Sendcast and the managing director of B Squared. If this is your first Sendcast, and as I always say, welcome. The aim of the Sendcast is really, really simple. We want to reach lots of people and help everyone learn more about special educational needs and disability. This week, my guest is Dr. Helen Ross. Helen is a dyslexia expert and consultant. And among many other roles, she is the co-vice chair of the British Dyslexia Association. And in this episode, we're discussing dyslexia and the impact on mental health. The Sendcast is created and produced by us here at B Squared. I normally mention our assessment software on this podcast. That's what we're known for. But today I'm going to talk about Eversense, our evidence and parent communication system. Eversense feels like social media, so it is extremely easy to understand and use. However, it is extremely secure. It's a safe place to share evidence of learning with parents or external professionals. It is also a great way to capture people's voice, or you can use it as your homeschool diary or reading diary. Visit the B-Squared website to find out more about Eversense or click on the meeting link in the show notes to book a meeting with me to take you through Eversense or any of our other products. Now, let's get on with the podcast. On this week's show, we're discussing dyslexia and the impact on mental health. My guest this week is Dr. Helen Ross. Helen is a dyslexia expert and consultant and is the co-vice chair of the British Dyslexia Association. Helen, like many of my guests, has lots of roles. She has been a teacher and a SENCO. She's working as a consultant, a specialist assessor and a SEND expert and writes articles for various publications. And as well as all of that, she is also part of many other boards and panels within the UK and also in the US. Welcome to the show, Helen. Thank you very much for having me. You are welcome. (laughs) We have discussed dyslexia previously on the podcast, but today we are discussing the impact of dyslexia on mental health. Because it can have a big impact, can't it? Oh, definitely. I mean, I sort of, I've spoken on it before and it's been very much from like a personal experience, but as I've sort of progressed through like working with kids as well and just being alive, being a human being in this world, you know, 10%-ish, if we follow NHS figures, like 10% of the population is dyslexic. So that means you're going to meet somebody, if you leave your house, you will meet somebody who's dyslexic, whether they know it or not. And because of the work I do, every single day I will deal with N plus one people who are dyslexic. And you see it when you talk to parents, like I assessed a kid last week. Oh, she was absolutely awesome. I assessed a lot of kids last week and they were all absolutely lovely. But just as one student, oh, it broke my heart. And we all had a cry after that assessment. Her folks were just such lovely people. I think it was like relief crying for them in some ways. But she was saying about how they've got this whole like pen license thing at her school. I think she was eight. I think she was eight. I can't remember. I could look, but I'm not allowed to touch my paperwork while I'm doing this recording because it'll rattle. <laughs> I said <laughs> no, you could. No, but yeah, so this last, she was, she was, the pen license was just this big ball of stress for this poor kid. Your, your face that you're pulling out is telling me everything. And I agree. And she said to me, and she said her mum and dad were there as well. She's like, I can't go wrong in my maths calculations because of teachers' expectations. The expectation on me, and this was, this was so personal to this eight-year-old that like, she had to get her maths calculations perfectly ordered so that in literacy she didn't get a pen license taken off her. And I was like, but but maths is messy. Like while you're calculating, you're thinking, you're scribbling, it doesn't matter while you're thinking, you're getting your ideas out. And if you're doing it on a whiteboard, even less bothered. And this poor kid said, even on a mini whiteboard, she was terrified to get her calculations wrong. I did engineering. She never saw my fluid mechanics exam. It was a state. I'm surprised I passed because I'm surprised anyone could read it. So it's just, it's that. This last just embodies the kind of all-consuming anxiety and pressure on self. And I think girls do do it worse in some ways than boys. There is sort of various research on that. But just that permeates everything. And she was just knackered, the poor thing. And she was exhausted. And her mum, which is, they cried. And I was like, oh, and then I cried because it was quite personal to me. And we were like, but it's okay. Because I'm i not an objective observer with assessments at times. I'm human. And yeah, and it's, it just, it's a really sucky thing because you've got these people who are so clever 
not just in whatever domain, whether they're kind of, you know, academic book smart or whether they're hands-on brilliant or whatever, A and other thing. Kids are, like every kid has the thing that they're good at. And if they've got dyslexia or whatever learning difficulty, there is a massive barrier and it brings with it pressure, anxiety, low self-esteem, the lot. It just sucks. That is a technical term. It just sucks. That's the thing is, if you are thinking of whenever you get any assessment for anything, it generally means you're rubbish at it. But that's the thing is until you get that assessment, it is all your fault. There's nothing wrong with you. That's the thing is you're a messy handwriter. You need to improve your handwriting. Why is your spelling so bad? You, need, you just need to actually put some work in. You need to put some effort in. Mm-hmm. What, you just Everyone else can do this. Yeah, you're the only one. Why can't you get your spellings right? Yeah, stop playing on the Xbox. Stop doing this. Stop watching TV. Just put the effort in. Yeah, and you get all of this told to you for whatever reason in so many different ways. Yeah. And then you sit in there and you, be- you believe it. That's the thing. You believe it. Mm. It's said to you by every angle and everyone else can do it. So why can't I? It is my fault. I am rubbish. And this goes on and snowballs. Until someone says you're dyslexic, it's like, no, I'm rubbish. We'll do this. Okay. Then you get the thing. You're going, it's not you. It's not yeah, your fault. Absolutely that. And my nephew, when he got his dysgraphia assessment, he went, I'm not stupid. That's what, and that's the thing. It is it's, everything about that. Until that moment, it was him and he was stupid. Oh, all of that. And I think it's really, I sound a little bit of a wally here, but my PhD and loads of work I've done subsequently, whether it's sort of academic, booky, geeky stuff, or like just, again, just talking to people from my little, like from the little Helen Cave where I do my assessments, call my office my Helen Cave. So does my little boy. But like, it's there's a level of empowerment because especially when you get like Ed Sykes do a different kind of assessment from I'm a specialist assessor I'm a doctor of sociology not like psychology so I'm a specialist assessor we do a sort of there's this very very detailed sort of not prescriptive that's too strong a word but there's a certain protocol that we have to follow but as a result of that really detailed protocol you get a fantastic like a kind of wavy diagram and a, a really strong yeah. insight into a kid's pro a person's profile and so I'm always able to say like, ha ha, little child, you're not stupid. And I always say like, ha, told you, told you you're brilliant. Look at this. Look how blooming brilliant you are. And it's such a privilege. And I like the f- three kids that I worked with last week, they, I mean, they were like genuinely off the charts bright. I mean, off, they were so, so bright. They were all on the right hand side of the Gaussian curve towards the kind of 90 centile wise. So little brainiacs. And lovely, like lovely kids as well. You know, it's not all just about being brainy, but they were nice children who felt pap. They felt so wobbly in themselves. And it was just like, what an honour to be able to say to these kids, look how awesome you are. Do not do not ever have anyone say you're stupid. And I said to a couple of them, like, to the parents, I was like, if anyone says your kid's daft, like, send them my way. <laughs> and I embodied that. Like I was 17 when I got picked up for dyslexia. And I felt really thick. And that doesn't leave you. I'm 40, 42 now, so I, I'm, I am now the meaning of life. But it was on Sunday, my birthday. That's not got old yet. <laughs> it's never going to get old until I'm 43. But, like, you don't forget that stuff. So finding out whether people have a full assessment or not. Sorry, my hair's just gone in my face. Whether people have, like, a full diagnostic assessment or not, giving them an understanding of their own profile is really important because it's empowering and it becomes kind of part of their armor like their weapons and and their set of their toolkit to deal with life because they can go i might be papa handwriting but lordy i can talk the hind legs off a donkey or i can like do verbal reasoning and so it's it's so important to have that but not everyone can afford it like i have to pay my mortgage so i'd love to do it under the the banner of a local authority but i can't because they're in capacity so rah. and then i just I'm just Sorry. thinking, see, what I love about my guests is you're sitting there and you're going, oh, when I went to university here, when I did my PhD here, when I did this academic research, when I'm doing this, when I'm doing this. And I was like, oh, somebody's got a degree. <laughs> but what I love about it is you got diagnosed with dyslexia at 17. Yeah, so being dyslexic is not about intelligence or anything. Yeah, it's not, it's almost like a separate thing. Yet in school, if you cannot get your working out in your maths done in the correct way, if you cannot spell correctly, if you cannot write neatly enough in a pencil, <laughs> then you are treated as a lower class person. Oh, oh, I mean, 
I'm being on my best polite behaviour now <laughs> because there is there is such a I'm gonna get really a little bit philosophical, but I think there no. is a his, there's a historical element, and it's the sort of he- hegemonic idea, a dominant idea within the education system. If you want to kind of read around it, is it the theory of practice by Bourdieu, French philosopher from the 1960s? But he's all about that education kind of embodies and really holds white middle class values strongly. Now that was in France, and it's very to be honest, the systems are different, but the the ideas it's, behind it are not dissimilar. So no. you've got a kind of idea that the the way to success is school, uni, law, you know, PPA at Oxbridge kind of thing. And it is that is a way to success. And embodied around that is and and people always talk about I read French at uni. I read n- 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 at uni. I'm like, well, I hit stuff at uni because I did engineering. I didn't really do a lot of reading. And it's it's this <laughs> I did the minimal amount of reading because I hate it. But it's this notion around reading and you're, you read a subject at uni. Well, for me, you do it. But reading is sort of in, connected very strongly to kind of traditional models of success. So that mood kind of permeates down. And so I think success, yes, on paper, there's like, oh, you could go do an apprenticeship. It's, it's, a, it's an afterthought. So this concept well-read is so intertwined with intelligence and I do entirely believe wrongly because you might be able to read stuff and regurgitate it. It doesn't mean you're clever. It just means you've got a good memory. It's the reasoning that is sometimes forgotten in this. So, yeah, I think there is a philosophical snobbery around it. Yes. I also, I have an issue because my dad was worked for IBM. So, so did mine, yay! <laughs> my, we, I had... And a PC at home, because my mum was a teacher. We had, I had a BBC B at home with Folio on, if anyone's old enough to remember those. It's what those big yellow and black computers in your primary school. I, my granddad had a BBC computer, but we had an IBM because dad, I don't so, know, he got one. <laughs> so we had these in school, but my mum could bring them home. So I actually could do my homework on the BBC computer and print it out because we had a printer at Ew. home. And then we got to an IBM computer at home. Then we got oh, this printer and I'd go mm. and go, what have you done this on? It's like computer at home as if it was just the most normal thing because it was a home. Mm. But what I then learned is you could spell something wrong and hit backspace and correct it and no one knew. So what yeah. I loved is my work was full of mistakes, but none of them were visible because I could just delete or use the arrow keys and change words and reorder mm. things. Yeah. And I could do all of that. And what you saw was the final thing which didn't even have my handwriting. So I was doing this from year seven. But that's the game changer, isn't it? And that's what is the... And just because year seven in 1990, we're talking a long time ago, and then I'd go to school and they're going, right, so we're going to write a story today and I write it. And they go, right, and tomorrow we're going to do our second draft. And I'm going, what? I'm not just rewriting it for the sake of rewriting it. I'm going to prove it. I'm going, what? And it, it made no sense because at home I would just read it and edit it as I went. Mm. And I kind of, in my head, I was kind of thinking a sentence ahead and, so I, and I was going, it just made no sense. This paper-based no. world. And you had to write in a fountain pen back then, which was just horrible. Biros are banned. And it was just everything about the paper world made no sense to me. No, and I think that's where there's the real cost on people because it's not just kids, it's people. And I think... Again, <laughs> IBM twin buddies. We yeah. had a computer at home and we had like, was it some ridiculous markup? The, the DOS-based program was called Markup in IBM. I can't remember how to use it, but I remember, you know, like command prompts and all the rest of it when I was younger. But there were ways around stuff. And that's where I think people forget. Because if you're spending your whole time at school or at work or, you know, whatever place you frequent the most worrying about getting your draft wrong or if the way like if the way that school or your work is expecting you to operate by doing the whole draft rather than doing as you go along if it's incompatible like i'm just thinking what we need to do is disable the delete button in every sec in every school and remove (laughs) all the spell checking or track changes and literally once you've typed a word you cannot edit it yeah so if you've written an email and spelled a word wrong you've got to start the email again 
Because to me, that's what the paper world is about. But it really is. Because you the... cannot, I cannot make a mistake. I cannot make a mistake. I've got to get every word spelling right. Ah, uh, uh, all the focus on the handwriting, the spelling. Actually, any you know, what you're writing goes out the out your head. It really does, and that has a cost. It costs people. It breaks people, and it's exhausting. And one of the things that's starting to get my goat, and again, these kids that, well, okay, no, there's a lot of things that get my goat, like <laughs> many, <laughs> many, many, many things. But like, there's this government systematic syn- synthetic fund. It's, it's SSP, and I get the S's the wrong way around because I have a goldfish brain. But like, so you've got six, seven, eight year olds doing phonics. They don't get their phonics. They can't, phonics doesn't work for them. In a language that is, morphologically and phonologically based. English is not a phonological language like Spanish or German. No, no, no. We have 11 billion combinations of letters that make exactly the same noise. Unlike Spanish. I speak Spanish. Spanish is lovely. But like, so these kids, they've gone through phase one, two, three, four, five. They've they've failed in huge inverted commas, the key stage one phonics screener, because it didn't work for them. And I deliberately say it didn't work for them because for most kids, starting off with phonics is a really good basis. So then what do they do? They do more phonics in exactly the same way. And but but why? Well, it's I mean it's entirely tied to funding because they you can only have certain programs that have been approved and are on the government list that, to get funding. So it's a brave school in today's climate that goes, no, we're going to do a morphological approach or we're going to do a sight word approach or a and other way to do it. Which for this little last that I assessed on Saturday, because the other one was Thursday, but the last I assessed on Saturday. You show her some, and she, I mean, she was like a photograph. She could remember everything, so she needs sight words. She doesn't need to be breaking them down because her phonological memory was pap. It was so wobbly, but her visuals, my goodness, this girl was a, a phenomenal. And it's so limiting. It's so prescriptive in the curriculum and because of funding. So which costs kids, which costs mental health, and it's just unhelpful. And you're making somebody feel really small by year on year, do you, doing the same thing, and you pay for that. I mean, I don't. Do you know? Prob- oh, sorry, go on. One of the problems I, I find with phonics, and I was talking to Deborah, who's one of the, the reading doctor lady, is and there's a thing called is it Salford Reading Rope? Oh, I've heard of it. I can. It's, oh, she yeah, showed yeah, me yeah, it, and basically, inter- yeah. all these things, and literally, phonics is one tiny bit of it. There's all these other stuff, but problem is, is unless I go and someone shows me these things, or I go look elsewhere. From the government's point of view, the only way to teach reading is phonics. Yeah. That is it. That is it. You look yep. elsewhere, it's phonics, phonics, phonics. Look at us, mm-hmm. phonics. And so we are doing a podcast soon around morphology. And I'm going to do Have you got Louise read- Salvi on? That, yes. I think oh, got- she's amazing. She's so lovely. So we've got that coming up. And, but I'm also the reading doc. We just talk about reading. And it is, there is so much more than phonics. And mm. I think I was, I was talking on a previous podcast about actually understanding what the words mean help you understand the word and things like that and how to say it and meaning so there's just loads of stuff around it and yeah phonics oh just phonics anything like that (laughs) is we but problem is and i see it in social media on senko groups i've got a group of children in year seven who don't get phonics what's the best way to do phonics it's like don't do phonics if they're in year seven do something else and I was talking to, to um, Deborah about going, actually, you don't, almost like you don't explicitly teach the phonics. You teach something else and the phonics is almost implicit or you're doing that. Mm. You're actually teaching something at that point. It's got to be relevant to them. Because by the time you're in year seven, goodness, you're going to be feeling so wobbly about yourself. Yeah. Like, have you read Neil Alexander Pass, Dr. Neil Alexander Pass? Oh my goodness, he's lovely. I don't know him well, but I've kind of corresponded with him quite a bit on Tinterwebs. And he asked me to read his book. It's about the prison, the school to prison pipe, pipeline. I can't remember the title. I need to Google this because I can't remember it. But it's really, really good. It's kind of a fictionalised account based on all his research and like a mahusive amount of work, actually. And it's how like through little like micro choices and nudges, this person ends up in a really bad place. And you just think at every bifurcation, if somebody had shown this person a bit of grace or done things a bit differently because it's sort of this this journey downwards into basically delinquency and it's really sad plausible entirely plausible extreme but plausible and you just see that 
I don't think it is extreme. Well, I think no, it's, it's not actually, is it? British Psychological Society, we just recently which is speech and language therapist, talking about the levels of language and communication is the, in the prison population, it's not like oh. the average is age 11 type thing. And you're going, if they're 40 and 30 age, and that's that, what was it when they were at school? And again, it's this, it's your fault. Unless oh, you have God. a certificate saying it's not your fault, it's always your fault. It's so, so sad. And the problem is, like, then you've got waiting lists that are, like, a, you know, 11 miles long, and it's just awful. Well, some of the kids at my last school, there was a, there was a couple of lads who, it was so hard to understand them, and they were proper lovely, <laughs> proper little ball of, ball of sunshine. But this, these were kids, by the time I left, they were, what, year 10, so 14, 15. And, I mean... <laughs> Even with the sympathetic ear, which I do have, I I really struggled. And this was a kid who was going out into the main, the real world. And I did some assessments and stuff. And this kid was so wobbly; it was just heartbreaking. And you just you could see how he was a really vulnerable sausage as well, like kind of a blank canvas because he was so lovely. Yes. And subsequent, not a blank canvas, but like just. It took everything at face value because he was kind, just a good spirit. And then that could be so easily beaten out of him. Yeah, and taken easily. taken advantage of. And he could have ended up, I don't know where this person is now, but yeah, it could so easily just end up in a real mess and just, it doesn't need to. That's the thing is, there is so much knowledge of how to support dyslexia. There is mm. loads of stuff. And yet we're not doing it. Mm. And a load of that is pressures from above. A load of that mm. is just blanket government documents saying the word all when they don't really mean all. They haven't told you that. No. What they mean is all for those who work. And if you actually question it, that's what they mean. And I have asked years ago, HMI, when you say all, do you mean all? Do you mean all but not, not SEN? Oh, yeah, not SEN. It's like, but you've written all. Yeah. And I was just and- like, you need to say this. It's so easy to say these really flippant statements which then people live by, and that's not actually what they meant, but it was a quick no. way of saying it. And I keep seeing this again and again. And so one of them is the pressures from above or going on a statement, which isn't actually what they meant, but it's much easier to say. And they don't want to draw a line because they want to be inclusive, but they don't really understand as they're being inclusive. Well, if it doesn't work, you should have. That's a whole other thing. But the other one is technology is amazing. Yes. So we're talking about computers and I'm literally, I'm talking, I had computers at home in yeah. the early nineties. Yeah. My brain and technology and the way you use it and is everyone, I think younger than me who is into tech is even further down that line. Kids today, they do voice memos. Yeah. So they're oh in WhatsApp and they're doing voice memos. Yeah. I do that. I think I really annoy the friends that I do it with, but I'm like, I can't bother to type. <laughs> Some, someone sent me a voice memo and I was like, oh, and then I went, they're dyslexic. You're an idiot. Change your <laughs> mindset. And I literally went, can't you be, mm, I need to really think about that. It was a lazy, I, I saw voice messages as a lazy, I've now got to listen to it. And I went, no, I'm an idiot. That's not the reason they've done it. It's, it's the easy way for them to communicate. I've got, mm. to resh- I've got to rethink. So we've got kids who communicate with voice. Yeah. Yeah. And why not? But it's, it's asynchronous. Yeah. To me, that's what writing is. Writing is an asynchronous form of communication. And it's a record. And it's a record. So if I can access it later, it's the same. And if in that message that I've recorded with my mouth, I've got a start, a beginning, and an end, and a point which I've reiterated, how different is that to me writing an argument in an essay? It's really not. Oh, I was talking as part of my research for my book, actually, this, the plans behind me on the wall. <laughs> it's literally scribbled. I photographed it so many times, so I don't need You shouldn't it. have a pen license. I can see that writing. Oh no, I've got awful handwriting. I I am not offended at all. But like, that one of the women, she was a lecturer, personal lecturer at uni. I couldn't say, to be fair, I couldn't say which, and I won't anyway. So it's kind of good. I've forgotten. But like, she was able to change some of the ways that her students were assessed. So some of her students could do a voice contribution, and then they got it. They had it like the online transcription software kind of did most of it, which meant that the lecturer who needed to be able to read it for her own way of working could but she could also listen to it to make sure the words were right it was so clever i've got otter ai it's not on at the minute but quite often i use it to transcribe zoom meetings so i don't have to like take notes and i do feel here's the thing though my own self-talk and this is where kids if you i'm old and grumpy and i'm i'm fairly confident in myself 
this kids aren't I'm like, oh, I'm just being lazy. I'll just get asked to do it. Or if I'm texting my friend about a bit of work, I'm like, oh, I can't bother to write. So I'll talk. How is that lazy? If I, the content of what I'm saying is long, I get thumbitis by texting on my phone and my computer's in the house. And I'm like, I don't want to. The thing what? is, we've got used to, on back in the days, you used to sit in the hall on your phone because that was where the phone was and you mm-hmm. listened and it took time. Yeah. Then what happened is, text messages came along what that meant was is you could sit in the room with anyone else and have an own private conversation so we'd like this tech because it is really easy you can read it with no one else mm. in the middle but when you have a voice message you can't just listen to that voice message in front of everyone else especially if it's not if it's from me you really can't <laughs> so, <laughs> never listen to a message from me in public <laughs> so it's not about lazy it's kind of we've got used to being able to sitting on the sofa while watching tv texting our friends yeah. going oh my are you watching this this is so good or whatever and actually with voice messages, you kind of can't do that. You've got to go, hang on, I've got a positive, I've got to listen to this. So it's yeah. kind of, it's a, dist- it's a changing of how we communicate back to how we used to the phones, which, which, but what I like about it though, is you're more focused on that conversation. You are more thinking about it because you're not just typing while half doing things. You are focusing on yeah. what you're saying because it's really hard even podcasting, it's really hard to say things and think about the next bit. You've got to, you're in the moment. You're talking talk about what you're saying. Mm. You're thinking about what you're saying. And again, when you're listening, you pause everything else and you're listening to that person. Yeah, that's true. I mean, to be fair, like if I get a little like voice message, not many people send them to me. There's, there's two or three who like, we quite often just go, nee, nee, nee. Um, and I have to go and find a space because again, it's not... <laughs> You just have to be a little bit careful, don't you? Yeah. If, it, if it's a worky thing as well, sometimes it can be quite technical or confidential work-wise. So I always make sure I'm by myself. And, and if it's from me, you really shouldn't listen to it in public because I'm not always politically, or I'm not always polite. <laughs> it's like, oh, Helen, shut up. But I do, I tend to like... I obviously don't listen to this in public. I'll write that before something if I'm yes. going to be silly. But no, it is. I think that's a really, really good point. And it's, I don't know. I just, I think it's just there's so much snobbery around communication, isn't there? That yes, yeah. even after a blooming pandemic, that in 20 years, kids are going to be studying and going, oh, that was a bit bonkers. And you could do video, video this, that, and the other, and all of a sudden, it's like, oh no, you have to now send a formal written document. Like, but, 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 why? Okay, why? let's go back to you having your IBM PC at home. Did you have a pen pal? I like, as in, where you wrote letters to each other. Yeah, I had a pen pal who lived in Dumfries and Galloway when I was like, we had a tent and we went camping to Lanark. Somewhere, yeah, Lanark, yeah, yeah Lanarkshire, yeah. Okay, I, d- I didn't make it up. That's good. <laughs> Go, like, tw- I, yeah, so I lived in Lem and she lived, she was lovely. I wish I remember what her name was. Yeah, I had a pen pal. She was gorgeous. Really nice. Yeah. So you, you wrote messages by hand to each other? Yeah, I don't know if she could read mine, but there were pieces of paper with my scroll on. <laughs> yeah. So if we think back to when we were at school and we were handwriting, <laughs> outside of school, we would write letters, yeah? Yeah. Yeah, your your grandparents or whatever, your parents might write letters or they might have the phone call. You had the whole Scottish ring thing, which is what we called it. You know, when you've got a long journey, you leave your grandparents, they give us a Scottish ring, which basically means dial the number, let it ring three times and then hang up. You don't have to have a conversation, but it's a great way of saying, if the phone rings three times, then goes. Your home, home and all and is good. Safe. Yeah. So, but we had these letters would go back and forth. Mm-hmm. You want to complain, you wrote a letter. Yeah, you want to ask questions, you a wrote letters. A strongly worded letter. A strongly worded letter. And I'm not even putting kind regards, it's just regards. Ooh. That's how, I, that's how upset I am. <laughs> but we did, it was all very much. Yeah. yeah. Now, you write on the wall behind you. It's on like, it's whiteboard sticky paper. It's not literally on the wall. No. But yes. But, that's, but that handwriting is for you. It's yeah. like a brainstorming. It's a brain oh, yeah, dump. yeah, it's not for it's, anybody else. It's not for anyone else. Every other communication you do for anyone else is digital, isn't it? Yes. Unless you're face-to-face, it's digital. Absolutely. And like even, I've, I suppose, I was saying to my husband, like, I have got the modern equivalent. We all do. We have the modern equivalent of a pen pal and they live in our phones. They're called text yeah. messages. Like there's people yeah. that I text every single day and we'll have a chat. They're not necessarily in the UK. And 
yeah. your chat. Like at this instant, not I'll send a letter. I can't wait for their response in six weeks. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> That's how it used to be with pen pals. It was just but we outside of school, everything is digital. Everything a teacher yeah. does, apart from that notebook, everything outside of that, digital. Yeah. You're not actually handwriting any long term plans. You're not handwriting reports. You're not handwriting your behavior stuff. It's all in CPOMs. It's in here. It's that. It's, everything is digital. Yeah, I'm just, I'm running my head through. Like, when do I write? When you're filling in a form. Yeah, yeah. That's. And, and when you're writing on a wall. When you're. I wrote a little note for my little boy because I found a conker for him on the way home. So there's a little note for him because I'm going yeah. to London this afternoon. But yeah, it's. We have a whiteboard on our fridge where you write down the meals yeah, yeah, yeah. and things we want to do. And don't forget it's this. But even then, Google Calendar. Will, Google Calendar. So we have that. So everything we have replaced with technology. Yet we have this thing that you have to be able to write with a pen by making no mistakes. It's like, but we all make mistakes. Everything you about a computer. You can see my <laughs> typing. I still, I no. have to, I, I have to say Wednesday because it's spelt in a really weird way. Yeah. I still can't say, send, I have to say. Necessary. I still want to put. In my head, it's sentence. There's an A in sentence. Oh, yeah, because it should be. And maintenance. And it just says, I have to say the word as I'm typing it. I say it. But even then, I still get it. But that's fine because I can go, I can right click and go, oh, there's the correct spelling for me. But yet, we expect our children. Yeah, it's just ridiculous. And yeah. we really need to move away from it. Because as we've been saying, the whole podcast, if you are literally taking a child's ability on their handwriting and their spelling, you're you breaking them. Failing them. Yes. You're failing them and you're setting them up for a lifetime of self self-castigation, not valuing themselves. Like not And yeah. if you're listening and going, but we have to for the SATs, it's like who cares about the SATs? That child doesn't. The parents of that child doesn't, and that's in reality what matters. Ultimately, and the SATs are not supposed to judge the children. They're supposed to judge progress at the school. So if you get a bunch of kids who come in a little bit wobbly, which after COVID, kids are, strangely enough, a little bit wobbly, then as long as they've, as you put them in one end of the school and they come out the other end having learned a little bit and they're civilised and happy, ultimately that's what matters. And can they read, write and do a few sums that and be kind to each other? Certainly like at the end of Key Stage 1, that's what you want. That's what I want. My little boy's just side reception. Like... I asked his teacher, is he civilised and is he happy? She said yes. I was like, happy days. That's the thing is I always ask, because I work in education. Yeah, I was yeah, a chair yeah. of governors. I've done all of this stuff. And I was like, what are you going to ask? It's like, is she happy? Is she putting in effort? Yeah. Yeah. Every parent's evening, they were my two questions. Nothing else mattered. If she is trying her best, yeah, or trying somewhere near her more. best, then whatever her results are doesn't matter. Yeah, they're the two things. And if you're listening, saying it's really easy for you, you're in the school. You're right. I'm not in your school, but I will argue with anyone up to any level of Ofsted. And I have done previously that it's wrong. And generally what you find is Ofsted will agree. Ofsted have taken away the grades as that limiting factor. The only people who really care about SAT results are the Sunday times and the league tables and your local authority. Yeah. And it's because, and this thing, when I went through a really bad bit as chair of governors with the school, because it was really going badly, I learned that the only way a local authority really measures a school is by their results and their financial position. Oh, that's bad. They had that no is... other way of really identifying if a school was doing well until one of those went wrong. Uh... And, and that I literally went, but surely you have all of this. They're like, basically the answer was, no, if SATs results fall, there is an issue. If a finance is going to problem, there is an issue. Apart from that, if every, if you're saying all this stuff, we're not seeing it because these two things are still being okay. It's so, Well, I've been a Senko and I've been a teacher. Like Before I sort of dipped into the world of being a freelance board, so Easter last year I stopped being in the classroom and the questions that parents ask are, are they happy, are they working hard? And nine times out of ten the answer is yes. And that left parents happy. But the pressures, and to be fair, the schools that I've worked in have been really nice. Like they've had, especially Stonehenge School, like working there till Easter, the leadership of that school 
It's Stonehenge Amesbury. Fantastic leadership. I will happily go on the record as saying that. Mr. Roper was epic and Carol, who's head now. Just amazing. Lovely people who care about their staff and who value their staff and their people's well-being holistically. And I, sadly, I think that is quite rare. Yeah, I think I think it takes a very confident person to be mm. that. And I think most people are running scared yes. in their role. And it and you, you need someone at some point above you to go, nah. I've got to stop chasing this and I've got to do what I think is right. And when they start doing it, the fear disappears out from everyone underneath. The problem is it's really hard for that person at the top yeah. to do that. It is so hard. And I think Mr. Roper at Stonehenge, I just, I know, he's a proper inspirational bloke. And he worked with Carol, who's now head. I don't know if I'm supposed to name people on here, but I will. I will, because they are just beacons of amazingness. And they're just lovely people who really set the tone for a school where the kids' well-being, as much as possible with the resources they got, was very, very well monitored, supported, I don't know. And the Senko and the kind of pastoral team, they... I don't know how they did it. I wasn't privy to all, any of that because I was sort of a class teacher then. But they had got the most amazing amount within the systems they could of like ELSA trained teaching assistants who were really skilled. They had a school nurse come in who was a mental health nurse. They'd got like a, oh, what was her role? Like a, a, th- a therapist. I don't know exactly what um, the lady's role was. So they got a really good team of well-being stuff. And there wasn't enough because it was a forces school. So again, there was you know the wobbles around being in the armed forces. I don't understand. I'm not a forces person, but I know are bad. So they they just they prioritise well being. And some of the schools that I work with, and you know, I'm aware of in Trowbridge, they they're so on it positively for else's and stuff. They're amazing. But if you get that well being right, the everything results else, will follow. Everything else flows. We if, we all know. If we have a bad day and it starts wrong, yeah, does it get better or does it go wrong for the rest of the day? It depends how much coffee I've had and if there's chocolate on tap. But generally, there's got to be something pretty seismic to set it right again. Yeah. Which doesn't happen. So, no. And that's the thing is, if we are all running that fear, generally we're not doing the best. We're making no, more mistakes. Absolutely. We're adding to more things. If we get that health and well-being correct for other staff, then what you actually find is, and I'm not saying this in a, you can get more out of them as a boss kind of way. I'm literally saying, if you're in a good place, the work you do will be better. You will do more. Everything you have more flows. energy. Everything flows. And it flows into everyone else. And what you think wasn't possible when you're in a bad place is now easy to achieve because you've all got the right, you're all in it together with the right mindset supporting each other. Exactly that. It shouldn't be rocket science, really, should it? But it seems I've done rocket science. I used to know the combustion equation. I don't anymore. But like, it's 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 sort of like the opposite of the planty one. The but like no, there there are so many factors that go into kids, and you know, trying to do like RCTs. I've got various fingers in various sort of research pies at the moment. RCTs aren't really doable in schools. You end up with quasi experimental stuff because there are so many factors. Okay, you can't control everything around education because if little Johnny hasn't had breakfast and then he's dropped his quid on the way to school and he's got no money to pay for the bus, then the knock-on effect is profound. And at school, then they get ham- a kid gets hammered for not having a pen, but they got themselves to school and you don't know that background. You just nope. don't. And in primary school, hammering a kid because they're late, but their parents bring them to school. Come on, that's let's sort ourselves out there. Give your heads a bit of a wobble. No. So I've I've got to ask. Go on. How hard is rocket science? The equation was all right. I didn't. It was gas and, but it was fluid mechanics and thermodynamics and that. I'm not very good at that. You can't hit stuff because it's quite chemically chemistry ish. I liked hitting stuff, so I was. So rocket science is quite hard then. Yeah, it's pretty. My first degree is mechanical engineering. I was of the hitting stuff flavor of mechanical engineering, so we, not the flowing stuff. So we can now definitely say it's not rocket science. <laughs> yeah, on my authority. I was a Newton before I got married as well. So, like, you know, Helen Newton, like Isaac, you imagine how school and A level physics went for me. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Yeah. Newton. <laughs> that was the boys. We got on. Anyway. Nice. <laughs> so. Yeah, that's the thing is 
And if we think of dyslexia, that can lead into executive function, function. issues as well. Absolutely. That, so yeah, yeah. then there's a load of stuff. And basically, it's like punishing someone for being tall. Well, exactly that. Exactly that. It's stuff that is out of somebody's control. There's. I read a thread on Twitter about why. Why don't. Why can't you just? And I can't remember the context of the thread. But the phrase, oh, can't you just? No, you can't. That is the whole point. Can't you just write better? No, because even when I try, it still looks crap. Can't you just remember stuff? No, I can't. And it's, you wouldn't, like you said, you wouldn't hammer somebody for being tall. You wouldn't say to a person who needs a wheelchair, can't you just not use your wheelchair? Well, no, there there are, this is where the biosocial module model of disability is really important because there are biological impairments. So for dyslexia, there are neurological differences that exist. They are testable. As objective as humanity can, can be, they are testable. They have a social impact. So the bit we can change is the social stuff, like having a ramp for a wheelchair versus stairs, like allowing kids to use tech, like letting them talk, like not having a chuffing pen license. These are things we can change that have a huge impact on somebody's ability to do life. And schools are obliged. There is the equality. Act. You're waving a keyboard. That looks I, I, quite, I, a, quite a cool I want key- a keyboard. I want a keyboard license in school. That's what oh, I want. okay. I was like, that's a cool little keyboard. I like that. It's, no, you bang on. Be, you bang on. It's a keyboard license. Absolutely. And they're reasonable adjustments. The Equality Act 2010. I've read it far too many times. Like... A reasonable adjustment is an obligation for any public body, for organisations, institutions that deal with people. But the problem is, it's quite simple, is if you're an adult and you're that person, you'll go read that document, you'll highlight it and you'll pick a fight. When you're six. You need an advocate. You're not going to. Well, how can you? You need an advocate. And that's where Senkos work their magic. Or if they can. Yeah. That's the thing is I, I see lots of people and I have no idea if coloured overlays or coloured paper works i'm no, not even jury's gonna, out. I'm not, jury's out okay i'm not even gonna go in there but loads of schools are banning it because they can't afford it and things like that and it's, it's like a quid a pop and i'm going i'm not sure you're allowed but i don't i don't know enough if it works or not but it's absolutely the research is split i can't decide so i figure if it's about a pound a pop and a kid feels listened to and they feel it makes a difference just do it yeah that's my philosophy I think what we should do is say to all teachers, right, if you're going to take all the way out, we're going to take away all coffee and alcohol from teachers. Why would you do that? That's inhumane. No, but the well, coffee element, like... but no, exactly <laughs> that. You, teachers yeah, don't need alcohol at school. supports you. <laughs> they don't need at school, but maybe quickly after. No comment. When they get home. But like, um, no, but... you're bang on. It's, it's, that's a, I'm going to say it's a support strategy. It's a this, it's a that. It's all the things, yeah? It's a habit. It's a habit. Yeah, and if I can read with a piece of coloured overlay with that, or it makes me feel better about reading, and it's a placebo thing. Oh, what? I mean, whatever what, for that. If it makes a difference to that child, do how it. is that wrong? Oh, exactly that. And it is a reasonable adjustment. A piece of acetate, or you like the things that crossbow education do. I'm sure there's other ones as well. The one I know is crossbow um, with Bob's Bob's work. And like... They're not expensive. And the cost of like £1.50 or two quid or whatever for the, the piece of plastic stuff is is negligible. It's not even like it's, it's what, 20 minutes, 15 minutes, even at minimum wage versus an hour's worth of a head teacher's time in a detention. Let's think about yeah. this as a cost resource impact. Two quid no. for a thing versus... A high-end, expensive professional's time for a detention. Now flip that round. We've looked at the cost to the school. What is the cost to that child of not providing that overlay? Substantial over the course Define of their substantial. life. Oh, me, I mean, me... I don't know. It, I don't know. Neil Alexander me... Pass has it in his book. It's tens of thousands. Tens of thousands in terms of their lost earnings. If you can't read, your jobs are limited. Now this is quite interesting, and I, I. I my head does this is every, every bit there you've accounted to money. Yeah. Oh, which is really interesting. It's how we do things. But you yeah? shouldn't. But actually is you've lost that love of reading, mm-hmm. writing, which 
generally, if you're not, if you hate reading and hate writing, you're not going into any job which involves that. Nope. And most jobs earning large amounts of money is mm. that. So you've now really cut off not money, but actually lots of opportunities. You life. might have literally said you're going to be poor the rest of your life because you can't earn the money. You'll not have those opportunities. You aren't able to access things. You've, yeah. You also have chip on the shoulder mm-hmm. because of all these people who can read and all this lot. And when someone says, oh, I've read French, it's like, bah. You, <laughs> you have all these things inside you which are there for your life. Yeah. You're you're in a like you're in a talk. You're the little like you have like those little devils and angels like in cartoons. I always think of Tom and Jerry, but like there's this the the voice the devil the the negative voice will get big, and it is yes. not good for somebody. And yes, I think I suppose I think fiscally in terms of the school setting because you have to be at this moment as the structures are, but socially the cost to that child subsequently a young person an adult is huge. Because yes. they they are, as you've said, exactly right. They're cut off from so many social situations and settings, or they whether they are that they're going to feel disjointed and feeling disjointed, not feeling belonging. The impact is huge, absolutely huge. It's horrendous. Do you have, do you have a favourite book? I'm talking fiction, not non-fiction, um, not like a okay, theory so, of relativity. Oh no, because that's boring. <laughs> Like, nah, I, my mum used to be a school librarian and I don't, I'm not a big reader because I really actually just can't be bothered. I'd watch the film, but there's an author called Owen Colfer. He's an Irish chap who writes about Artemis Fowl. They're for children, but they're so well written. Artemis Fowl's like a criminal supervillain who turns good and works with the LEP Recon organization. And oh, it's brilliant. And I met him on my 30th birthday. I went to New York and I actually met Owen Colfer. I was like, I love your books. They're so good. I don't get like starry eyed, but Owen Colfer's books and I like the His Dark Materials and the I'm waiting on the Book of Dust number three. But that is about, about all I'll read that isn't technical. Interesting. I've bought Artemis Fowl. I've not read it. I've watched the film. I haven't but it's seen on the my, film. I'm going to read it. Because I think I watched the film and went, that is a really oh, cool awesome. idea. Awesome. The books are fab. They've got code across the pages as well. Like if you were sad and enjoyed algebra, which I did. The, the books are brilliant. I nicked them all off my parents. I need to give them back at some point. But but that's the thing, right? If you're basically taking away that love of reading, you're taking that passion for esca- and that ability because reading is escapism to me. See, I don't like reading. Watching the film is the escapism. But so, if you take that off, yeah. I think you're taking it. And if you are a teacher and you've got so many books and you love reading, by denying that colour overlay or doing something which isn't fostering that love of reading or writing because they're intrinsically or stories, linked. stories. Stories. If you are taking that away by either denying or doing all that lot or not giving them a pen licence or all of that, what you're doing is imagine you not having any of those books you've read, not having that love, not having that passion, not getting Absolutely. excited. You met an author on your 30th birthday. <laughs> um, all those years ago. All of those opportunities yeah. have gone. Oh, God, yeah. And that's the thing is, it's really hard being in school that you realise it's a six-year-old, but there are things you are doing which are have lifelong impact, both positive and negative. We all yeah. remember our favourite teachers. What we kind of do is we often forget the negative bits, but they're there and they're underneath. Oh, yeah. And they do come out sometimes. You're going, I'd forgotten that. <laughs> so I, I'm not a lover of reading. I don't I love reading. reading. I, I do it because I have to, but stories I like. I like, but I have to really get into it. And I've mentioned a few on previous podcasts, but one of the one podcasts I did recently, which was really amazing, was with Emily Pye, which was about audiobooks and the benefit of audiobooks. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And she's from a charity called Listening Books. Oh, I know which, of them. Yeah. What's nice about that is most audiobooks Pardon are really me. expensive, <clears throat> whereas Listening Books is £20 a year. And there's thousands of books. That's so again, insanely va- like that's so reasonable. Normally, I don't like pushing things because to me this is more informative. But I'm literally going, if they are struggling to access that written word, but you want them to enjoy stories, I'm 99% sure that Artemis Fowl will be on there, and you can listen to that what's, if you are struggling to read what's it. What's the charity? It's called Listening Books. Listening Books. Sorry, I am literally writing. I've got my pen in my hand. Listening. See, now you can hear me, right. Ah, this is awful. I have to spell things out because listening is spelt stupidly. Yes, I do that. 
but that's my point is mm. is again with if you look at audible any of that they're really expensive yeah. so again we have this cost barrier to this sort this but actually it's um, so going, actually you've literally removed that barrier so if i cannot if i am dyslexic and i cannot read the word therefore i cannot read um, all of the Percy Jacksons and the Greek gods and all the Harry Potter. I want to read them because yeah. there's so much more in that book and I can't afford £10. Actually, listening books is a charity and it's really, and you can you can have an app on your phone. It's got, so that's it. I literally, I'm going, what a wonderful, this is so good. Yeah. What a wonderful it, idea. What a wonderful, thank you, listening books. That's awesome. Because if you can feel, if you can, if that child listens to stories, they're more likely to have their own stories they want to share. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. And that's the main thing is I don't care how that story comes out. Yeah. Yes. If you read, most articles you read on the internet are not typed out. They're dictated. They're chat GPT'd half the time <gasps> these days and yeah, things no, like that. It is. It's true. They're not handwritten. Yeah. We've gone past handwritten. Yes. It's only you in schools with your notebooks are doing handwritten. Yeah, I make notes on iPads. I type on my iPad in a meeting or I have my laptop with me. Yeah, I'm just sitting here looking. There's my printer there and like I've got my little like empire in my office. My pen is for fiddling with. It's for spinning the lid. I've had... I have a highlighter. Yeah, I've spent most of my time with... Or (laughs) cufflinks. But to me, that, that that is a pen. Is I fill in bank forms. I f- even passport forms you dig- digitally now. Oh, I know, game changer, right? In a good way. <laughs> and that's the thing is, we're literally in all the text to speech, the speech to text, all of this stuff is so amazing. Yet we are limiting schools and to paper and pen. And if they can't do it, they're stupid. And that just sucks. Bring it right back to the start. It just sucks. And we're not doing that anywhere else. Anywhere else in life, we don't do that. But you're setting them up telling you you cannot access all of this stuff. You cannot access uni. You cannot access AWS. You're going to be rubbish because you can't spell and do this. It's really important. Well, it's not yep. because work you get around. so much support. There's, there's all these tools which do text-to-speech, speech-to-text. It's all built into Microsoft stuff. And even my colleague John noticed yesterday that you can in Teams now turn on auto-transcription and it will just transcribe the meeting automatically built in. It's like if you deliver a PowerPoint, it will transcribe it automatically. It doesn't always get the great accent. I was going to say, it doesn't always understand like a not estuary M25-based accent. Yes. Apparently, obviously, I wouldn't know because I speak so perfectly. But yeah, it's a game changer. It's such a game changer. Definitely. Just put me in charge of the world. It'll all be fine. (laughs) No, it's Uh, terrifying. And that's the thing. People will sit there and go, well, we haven't got time to worry about well-being. It's all about the grades. It's like, no, if you do the well-being, the grades will come. the narrative. (laughs) And also, they will do more with that. You can't just push someone into it. They literally will get to a point. I know lots of people have got to a point and go, what have I done with my life? I've got all the way to here and I don't know what I want. Mm -hmm. But if you had that health and well-being and you had that, you were actually enjoying life and you wanted to do it for a reason and you went through all that path of university that you're supposed to do, you actually went, I know what I'm doing. Whereas I think lots of people get pushed down this path and going, I still don't know what I want because I'm generally broken inside because I'm not actually that happy and I've not found what I want to do. I'm just doing what I've been told to do. Yeah. All and of that. how many of us, if we realistically look back and go, did I really know what I want to do? <laughs> or did I kind of go down a route I was being pushed down by someone and then got to the point where I kind of fell off and went, now what? I did. I was 24, 25, absolutely sank. Signed off work with depression for six months. That was an absolute... What, were you, what was your profession at the time? Who knew? Systems engineering and Helen Ross or Newton at the time were not going to be great friends. I, it was a lovely little company, a lovely company, lovely people. It just, I sank like a little balloon because I'd always said, oh, I really fancy being a teacher. And I'd got a job. I'd actually got had a job lined up in France, again, with a lovely company. And I just went with my boyfriend at the time. I was like, I can't, can't do it. And I stayed in the UK with this lovely guy, really nice bloke, but it wasn't right as it turned out. And ended up, yeah, like stuffing in Sheffield. And then about a year, kind of sorted myself out through a bit of a process and did teach training. And here we are. There's been episodes and wobbles along the way subsequently. I think once you've had like formal depression, I don't think, and anxiety, I don't think it leaves. 
but you're aware of it. So I'm, I'm kind of glad that I'd had it because, and it was absolutely linked to expectations of myself. But yeah, I, I was going to be a chartered engineer by the age of 30 and then, and then. Where did that come from? Was it, is it your parents? Were they chartered engineers? My dad, I see, I sound like I'm blaming my dad. My dad actually is a chartered McEng person, but it, it isn't my parents at all. But yeah, there were expectations around. So it, um, there's a podcast with Ali knows why we are the way we are. And it is kind of, you build a tunnel for yourself. Oh, based I did. On what you yeah, know. yeah, definitely. My dad's an engineer. He looks cool. He's doing this. We go, I'm going to do that because it's a safe bet and all this. Stuff. And you do this stuff because yeah. you don't know much else. And you build this tunnel, but only you put the tunnel there. And at some point you break out of it or is it, that's the sort of thing is. So we don't know at six what we're going to be. No. We don't know if they're going to write. No. But. If you belittle them because they are can't write neat enough or they can't spell correctly or they make mistakes and any of that. It's just damaging. There's no benefit no. to doing that. If they can, yeah, if you have the children who, and I, and spider, I literally, my spider crawled across a page is how people used to describe my handwriting. You cannot read it. You just cannot read my handwriting. I can just about... And generally, I can read words by looking at how many tall letters and how many short letters. And you know the context of when you wrote as well. Yeah, that's how I read my writing. So I can't even read my writing, so I don't write. But we're doing all this stuff, and it is purely damaging. And there are those children who do lovely handwriting. They're lovely round letters, generally girls. Yeah. You know that side, but yeah. And you look at it going, oh, blah, blah, blah. but you actually realise, I think I realised that actually she only gets eight words per page. Eight, eight, eight words per line. There was that bubble writing. So yeah, yeah, yeah. From when we were I'm kids. literally, my tiny writing was 20 words per line. So I'm literally going, oh, she's written four pages. And I actually went, I've written more than her on a page and a half than her four pages. Yeah, I'm sort of halfway between those because my writing, if I write slow, can be legible. But then my, my ideas go at 10 to the dozen. So Yes. So if I'm filling out a form... I do a low, my capitals are horrible. My lowercase is better, but okay. sometimes it's joined up and sometimes it's not. It just depends which letter and which, which letter I'm going mm. from and to, whether I like to join it. Otherwise I go, that looks horrible. So I won't join those. And I do that. Yeah, I can fill in forms and you can read it all, but it will be half joined up, half not. It won't be in capitals because that is harder to read of my, I have, and that's my writing. I have been known to get my husband to write forms for me. <laughs> he is such a kind, patient man, brave and stupid. Uh, there is a fine line. End, end of that form, I'm going, yeah, yeah, yeah. Get- and I've literally, I've written the date, three words, and I signed it. And my hand's going, oh, that's enough yeah. writing. Well, because you hold the pen like there's no tomorrow. Like, yeah, because it's such hard work. Again, yes. we're doing kids a disservice. Can't they just use tech? Ah. Yes. So to me, get rid of pen licenses. Mm. Ideally, it's focus on what they're saying, not how they're saying it. That's the main thing. And with stuff like dysgraphia, the main thing you want to do, anything like that, and it's dyslexia, is you want them to enjoy reading and writing and composing and Engaging with literature and the written word, be it their own or somebody else's. And however they do that, like, to quote the great Catherine Tate, Swish you bothered? No. (laughs) I was not expecting Catherine Tate to be quoted in this podcast. (laughs) (laughs) That's crazy, Catherine Tate. Dr. Helen Ross says... Swish, you're bothered. <laughs> no, but it is. Catherine Tate, I'm a bothered. But when she's got, she's playing Laura in the French one, she's like, yeah. you distrust- I, I love that character. <laughs> I used to show yes. it to my kids at school. But no, I think, I think it is, we shouldn't be so bothered about modus operandi. We need to be bothered about motivation behind what kids do and yes. how to help them get their stuff out in a productive, constructive manner that edifies them not yes. belittles them because it's not it's not good no right i'm gonna wrap it up okay i know we could talk for hours <laughs> there's a whole thing i want to mention but i haven't segued into that yet so but i'll mention that afterwards okay cool but that's fine so big thank you for coming on the no, show i really enjoyed it i'm gonna try i'm gonna ask you to remember which book you said you were gonna tell us and i can put that in the show notes so if anyone else is interested in that book about from what's his name uh, neil alexander pass give me two seconds yes do you, let me google it so um, we'll be sharing those in the show notes. So uh, Hannah's going to get that over to me and I'll put that in there. So you'll be able to read that or even just look it up and read the synopsis if that's the sort of person you are, like I often do. Go, oh, that's interesting and move on. 
So we'll be putting that, that as well as some other links Helen's given me. I've got a load of contact details for Helen, so her Twitter, her Facebook, her website, and <laughs> so on. So you can find all of that. And as always, you can find the show notes on our website or wherever you listen to the podcast. And as always, thank you for listening. If you haven't subscribed already, click on that subscribe button. You can follow us on all the social medias on X. I just can't do it. Formerly known as Twitter, formerly known as Prince. The social media formerly known as Prince, the Sendcast. On Facebook, the Sendcast. On Instagram, the Sendcast. Are you right there, Helen? <laughs> If you're looking for a simple, secure way to capture and share evidence and learning or a way to capture people voice, a way to celebrate and share achievements or a simple way to communicate with parents, you need to have a look at Eversense. Eversense is our evidence system that does so much more to help boost parental engagement. To find out more about Eversense, visit the B-Squared website. You can find out about our online training, our CPD, read our blog, watch our webinars, and you'll find a link to the website and to book a meeting with me so I can take you through Eversense or answer any questions you have in the show notes. So thank you for listening. We'll be back next week with another episode of The Sendcast. It is goodbye from me. And goodbye from me. Thank you for having me. It's been fab. You're welcome. Bye, everyone. <laughs> <laughs>